This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode, I'll be talking with Dylan Medeiros, a learning and development specialist at HFA. Dylan's going to talk to us about the origin story of the NICER method, which is a method that can help individuals and firms build skills through great learning and development programs. Dylan's going to kind of break down the different steps of the method and talk about how you can apply it today in your career. It's a good episode because Dylan is not an engineer. He's not an architect, but he's come into this industry and he really understands how we think and what it takes for us to grow. So I think you will really enjoy it. Before we go on here, I do want to just drop a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, Burns and McDonald. A career at Burns and McDonald goes beyond delivering projects. It's about owning outcomes, finding your best fit, and making a difference. Right now, Burns and McDonald is hiring engineers, architects, construction professionals, technologists, scientists, and consultants to design, build, and deliver environmentally conscious and socially responsible projects. Explore opportunities across their family of companies by visiting burnsmcd.com careers. That's burnsmcd.com slash careers. Burns and McDonald is an equal opportunity employer. Let's jump right in. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Now I'd like to welcome our guest onto the show today. Dylan Medeiros is a learning and development specialist at HFA. Dylan, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thanks for having me, Anthony. I'm excited to be here. Excited to have you. We got to meet at the AEC HR Summit a few months back and happy to connect here. And why don't we get started, Dylan, by you telling us a little bit about yourself and really your role at HFA. I'm a learning and development specialist, which is a bit of a nebulous title I've come to learn in this industry. So what does that mean? Essentially, I'm, I'm the training guy for HFA Enterprises. We're a multidisciplinary firm specializing in retail, commercial, industrial. I think at this point, we have folks located in pretty much all of the contiguous United States, somewhere across the map, um, as well as Mexico. We're about 370 people strong at this point, but that's actually on the rise next week. So uh, constantly seeing that number go up. I've been with HFA since November of 2019. Came in just before COVID and got to start off my training career kind of in studio with people and then made the switch uh, over to virtual and have been doing that since. And it has been interesting. I absolutely love it. Just curious for a firm that size, what does the learning and development team look like? It's a little bit segmented for a really long time. In fact, I'm not going to get into the numbers, but for quite a long time, we've had a, a team focused on the technical side. And naturally, in this industry, you get exposure to the technical side, right? You get reviews and you work through that process. There's been a, a lot of development focused on how do we make these systems more efficient? 
How can we drive you through whatever design program, et cetera? What has been lacking, at least in our case and maybe across the industry, is really the focus on those other skills that maybe don't come down to productivity, but really translate into how we get the things that we need done, done. I like to think of it as, um, like if you take somebody's job description, so if I took your job description and I held it up and I was like, all right, Anthony, this is on your job description. You do this and you do this and you do this. That means you do nothing else that's outside of that, right? Right. The only things that make you successful are clearly listed right here on your job description. No, no. That, and it's silly to think that. So what we needed as an organization is really to be able to come in and identify some of those things because it, it, there's so much more to being a professional in this industry. And now with some of the disconnect and the remote work, there's so many more things that go into being successful than just what you're able to produce. And so my role was to come in and kind of help harness some of those things. And we didn't really know how we were going to do it. We just knew that we wanted to do it when I started. We do a lot of people leadership and project management development programs at EMI for consulting firms across the country. And when I started doing this about 12 years ago or so, I don't think people thought those skills were as important as they are. One of the, actually the challenges that I ran up against in starting the company was that, uh, you know, as long as we're doing the technical training, we'll be fine. But then I think what's happened over time is that projects have become more complex. There's more ways to communicate with people, technology, in person, virtual, et cetera. And to me, there's like this triangle. You have your technical skills, your people leadership skills, and your project management skills. And really, if you want to be a very successful leader in the AEC world, you're going to need to develop all those things. And and to your point, technical is most of the job description. There may be a couple things thrown in there, like, you know, ability to communicate for whatever that means, which is just too vague, but it's pretty broad. Yeah. Yeah. But nonetheless, so I, I really like that. And I think the reason I kind of asked you about the size of the L&D team too, is because I think a lot of firms kind of struggle with when do we hit that point where we really need to get an L&D team or specialist like in-house and we can't do it all either on our own with some of our technical people doing the training or sending people out to programs that maybe aren't as specific as we need them to be at this point in our growth trajectory. So it's certainly an interesting question and just working with a lot of people in your shoes in our clients' firms, I know that you probably got about a million things going on across the board because you have all these different professionals that have all these different learning and development needs, of course. And like you said, you are a uh, kind of a team of one. Well, I know people help you, but the point is, is you're the learning and development specialist for the firm. So so let's talk a little bit about what do you see as some of the most pressing challenges that whether it's civil engineers or AEC professionals encounter in terms of continuous learning and development in the industry today? The easiest one to point to is time. I don't have time. It takes time. I've got to make time. And when we're focused on productivity and, and driving utilization rates, it's very easy to get overwhelmed by productivity and then treat the personal development and those growth opportunities as sort of secondary or like, let me get in these licensing CEUs right for the due date so I can please whoever our coordinator is, right? Because it's not on a job description it does become sort of the people skill side of it becomes secondary. The first thing that I think is, is a big hurdle for us right now is a reticence to adapt our processes or change. We are and tend to like to stay in our comfort zone in the terms of how we've done our work over the last X amount of years. Right now, we have four different generations in the workforce. Those higher ends on the boomer and like the elder Gen X groups 
the workforce that they're used to and the way that the, the workplace operates is fundamentally different than people who just now started their careers in a remote work environment where we don't see each other every day, where we're not in an office together. And so there's a hesitancy to change. I think one of the big things that, that causes that hesitancy, though, is lack of direction. What do we do? Where do we go? One of the hardest things in terms of learning and development, even from my side, is not just, hey, let's create some material and like, let's throw this out there and we'll entertain some people and like make them feel good. But it's how do we tie what we're trying to teach and train into something that is meaningful and applicable outside of just their work? Our work came home with us, man. You're in my house right now. Like you're at home, you did, my dog is in the background. Like, you know what I mean? And so this idea that we can separate work from our personal life and that we need to just, man, draw some hard lines in there. Really? We have the capability and technology now that we can talk to each other anytime we want. It doesn't mean we should, but it means that, that some of the things that have changed in our environment require us to change and adapt in order to keep up. Remote work is a big one right now. Whether you've got a hybrid environment where we've asked everybody to come back into the office, like when the workplace shifted fundamentally, our priorities shifted. And we learned more about what we we're able to accomplish in the time that we're given. And in a lot of ways, that drives this desire for autonomy and empowerment. We want more control and say so over it. Because if I know that I can rule myself and get the things I need done in X amount of hours, I don't feel like I need to sit behind a desk in this place and be watched for X amount of hours. And all of you out there listening are probably, this is kind of very aligned with where you're at, is if your company is going to ask you to go to some kind of a learning and development program, just because I don't like to use the word training that much. I think it's got a risky connotation on in our industry, but- It becomes a checklist. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a more of a check off, like, give me the training and I'll be done with it. But if your company is asking you to go to a learning and development program and you know it's going to help you become a better professional, but also a better person outside of work, to Dylan's point, it kind of checks a bunch of boxes and it's like, hey, I really think that this is going to be beneficial. And we're lucky at EMI in that our, our people leadership courses do focus on a lot of skills like communication and listening and productivity and time management that really can be helpful for you at home and at work. But I'm even seeing with a lot of our project management programs, I mean, listen, if you're a parent and you have multiple kids and you're married and you and your spouse work, like you're essentially managing projects, right? Your kids, sports, you got a project you're doing on your house, right? So if you can find that and use some of that at home, it's really a win-win for everybody. Yes, it becomes ingrained. That's It goes back. So like when I actually joined with HFA, I kind of asked the question, I was like, you've been around for 30 something years. Why do you want to do this type of training now? Our leadership, Dave and Ryan, they shared with me, they said that there's this thing that happens sometimes in the industry where people will get on a cycle and maybe they'll work for this firm for a little bit and then, you know, chase a paycheck or whatever and go to this firm and then whatever. And they just said to me, they said, we want the time that they spend here at HFA to be focused on growth. We want them to grow as professionals and people. We want the whole person to grow, even if they're not going to stay here forever, which I think is a very like novel idea. Like even if we're not going to get to keep you, we still want to invest in you and grow you. That's huge. That needs to be the mentality. And so from that is born this kind of idea of whole person development. We don't want to take up your very expensive time, right? We don't want to spend a bunch of resources on teaching you things that you can only apply to this specific situation. Do you guys need technical training? Yes. Do you guys need to be able to specialize? Yeah, but like a lot of that is being done already. The other side of it is we also need to learn how we can grow 
in our entirety, as personally and professionally, as much as possible in order to be successful. You can be really good technically at your job and a complete jerk and nobody wants to work with you. How much does it matter then that you're good at your job? Yeah, you become a workaround at that point. They're like, oh, I'll deal with them if I have to, but really I'd rather not. And the more that we understand that these are people doing these roles, this isn't just a thing that produces for me. These are humans. These are people in development. And we understand that, hey, now I'm in their home and there's this whole, I got to consider the entire person. The easier it is to see, oh, okay, let's look at things that motivate you. Let's look at how to grow you outside of just this one thing I need you to do. And when you can tie that to bigger purpose, you get buy-in. We've seen it a lot with some of the firms that we've worked with building like these custom leadership or PM programs. The people that work there are like dying to get into the program. They love the fact that they're creating it. And then they don't want to leave the company because why would I leave when they're investing in me in this way? So I always tell our clients like, this is how you can recruit, develop, and retain people by building really sound learning and development programs. That's what people want. And for a lot of the reasons that Dylan explained. And I just want to add to this. If you're in a position you're like, ah, oh, people don't want more training and people don't want, there are a couple of things. Number one, they don't want boring training. Nobody wants to be bored and have to sit through something as a checklist. But there used to be, I would work with leaders and talk about getting their people to come over when I was working in a, a brokerage firm. And I was talking about getting their people to come to training. They're like, ah, you know, they don't want to do that and this and this. Like, it's not that people don't want the training and they don't want to go participate and learn these things. What people don't want is to go and learn and be taught these things and be come back to their job and that not be the reality. There not be a place to apply it. There not be support from their leadership or their peers to like actively apply those things. It's, we did this session, now let's go back to the way things always are and check that box. That's what people don't want. And that's why training as a word has such a bad connotation because of how it's been treated. We've actually been working on some things that help reinforce the training for a long time after the actual sessions, which you have to do or else you're just going to lose it, which is really important. But to your point, like if a firm comes to someone and says, hey, congratulations, Dylan, you're going to be a project manager and we got this great program that we're going to be enrolling you in. I mean, they're not going to be like, I don't have time for that. <laughs> they're going to be like, you know, that's awesome. Like I'm excited about it. So then obviously the onus is on the firm or whoever they're working with to make sure that the program works well. But People will get excited about these programs if they know it's really helping them to develop and it's really growing them in, in their career. So what I want to talk to you a little bit about here is we want to learn a little bit about the nicer method for talent development and how it can benefit civil engineers or AEC professionals. Talk to us about the nicer method. The nicer method I premiered at the AEC HR Summit this year, um, it's not some mysterious or like secretive thing. It's, it is really just a process of like, when I look back at the way that we've moved through this and the evolution, if I was to take a snapshot of our growth and trajectory, especially in learning and development over the last, say, three years, how would I encapsulate that process? I take this method, we call it NICER, it's the, this acronym, but because if you take this approach, I've seen what it can do. We have tangibly seen the results of it. So here's how it works. NICER, like I said, is an acronym. The N is for need. The very first thing that we have to do is start with really understanding what are the needs of our people. You and I spent like the first part of this conversation talking about those needs. And a lot of those needs are things that aren't on the job description. So how do we get those? Well, do we go to each individual person and say, hey, what do you need to grow? I mean, you could, but if I ask you that right now, there's probably a variety of answers that we could get. And so our approach was just to go to leaders and be like, hey, what sort of like, training and skills development do your people need to be successful? 
And out of that conversation came things like, well, we want to get better about QC and want to have to do less red lines. And I'm like, I mean, okay, but that's like a combination of skills. That's not, I can't just, boom, I taught you this thing and now there's less red lines. Like it's a combination of being able to apply and like retain knowledge. And then I would get other answers of like, we want our people to be better about doing their timesheets. And once again, I'm like, okay, that's more of a symptom. People will take care of their timesheets when they understand that it's important and like can see the the reasoning for it. That's when it will become something that we do. Usually right before we have to go and post it or send it to whoever for approval. So when you take that other side and you understand that leaders think that our people need training on those two things to be successful, there's a big gap. Like you're missing this important part. It goes back to, well, that's job description stuff. Yeah, you're going to have to be able to handle red lines. You're gonna, what else? And so we kind of flipped the script and said, Think of it this way, and this is upsetting to some leaders, but I went back to them and I said, uh, what skills do your people need to develop to replace you? Yeah. So you kind of lean back like, oh yeah. For some of them, that was a very like, I don't want to be replaced. What are you talking about? I'm like, this is good for me. So you're not interested in growth. I would like to advance. In order to advance, you have to be replaced. Somebody has to be able to do that job because here's what happens. If you work from the mentality of like, I'm going to work myself and I'll just do this and I'll be irreplaceable. Guess what? You're going to do that job until you can't anymore because nobody else can and you made yourself irreplaceable. And while that may work for a little while, do you really want to be the only person who can handle that thing when it comes to, I don't know, wanting to take vacation, having family and personal time, like wanting to actually enjoy something outside of that work you do? There's no space for it. If you're the only one who can do it, an alternative is to understand what are the things or the knowledge or the skills that I possess that enable me to be successful in this, and how can I then translate that into something that enables someone else to be successful? That is the core of the need, is what does success look like for this? And from there, you move into things like incentive, which is the I from the nicer presentation. It's how do we get people to buy into this? exactly what we were talking about. You make it about the whole person. You stop trying to just train them to do a thing better. And you say, hey, this thing that we're talking about. So right now we're in the middle of time management. We're talking about time management as an organization. And I have three children. And so a lot of the references that I'm going to put in there are like, how do I get my kids to ninja and band practice and things like that while also maintaining the job, while also being able to come on here and have these conversations and do this training. And like, if I don't prioritize things, guess what? Come Tuesday, I guess I just stand up here and have a good minute wasting your time. It's understanding that that prioritization and the incentive, how do we get people to buy into it? Will you give them things that they need? You kind of have to be smart about how you ask questions of managers, like what do your people need? And I think, you know, the whole thing about replacing you can really help you do that. And I agree, people need an incentive. Like you said, I mean, People are billable in our industry. So if they give up their billable hours, obviously that we all know what the repercussions of that are. It needs to be valuable enough to them to say, you know, I'm willing to give up those hours. Valuable and it needs to speak to something deeper in them. No matter what the topic is, you have to resonate with something in them because when you don't have resonance in anything that you're talking about or trying to get through a conversation or just guide people through, what you end up with is this event-based training or event-based conversation. Like, remember that one time when we talked about how nice it would be if we could like give feedback to each other? That was fun. And we just reference it as like this thing that happened as opposed to like, oh, this is a muscle that I actively need to be working out or it will atrophy. 
And there's some disconnect if we're not able to apply those things. Part of that is getting people to actually buy into it. How do I convince you that what I'm trying to sell you, like I'm, I'm the dog and pony show. I'm going to get up here and like, we're going to have fun and talk about it. How do we create meaning in that? And that's where the seed from nicer comes in. It's the credibility. I could very easily stand up here and be like, well, I've got this degree and I went, I've read this book. and done it. Nobody cares. It goes back to that adage. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. One of the core pieces of the nicer method working is you have to build credibility and rapport with the people that you're trying to work with and for. I could make a list of topics right now and just be like, these are things I like to talk about and we're going to talk about and I'll just spend the year doing that. But how valuable is that to the people that are going to have to just get to listen to me talk about things I like to talk about versus if I go and regularly attend meetings, like just their team meetings, just ask to be included, fly on the wall. I'll sit in the back. I won't even say anything. Or, hey, we've got a strategic alignment where all the leaders are going to be talking about project development. So I was like, hey, do you mind if I just sit in on that? I put my face in all these meetings. I would just show up and I would listen because I needed to understand what's actually happening. I'm not listening for the information in the client pursuits. I'm listening to how you talk to one another. If you're hesitant, when you mention a certain thing or coordination on a project, I'm like, oh, I wonder what that is. I'll write it down. I'm like, that sounded, mm, right? And then through the course of getting to know them and be in these things, you have these one-off conversations of, hey, you were talking about this the other day. I had a couple of questions. I noticed you kind of pulled back. It's building relationship with it, which I'm kind of jumping ahead in the nicer method, but the credibility really comes from it's showing up, showing effort, like doing something with the information and being able to show interest in what they're doing. You're actively invested in their growth. I can't train things just because I like to train them. I have to tie it to something that matters to somebody, or it's just me patting myself on the back for a half hour twice a week. And that's, I mean, who does that serve? Good example of that on our end is a lot of times when firms will contact us to help them with their learning and development needs, they'll say to us, you know, we've been listening to your podcast for a year or two, or we've had our employees listening to your podcast, which is just free and available, right? And that kind of like built up for us our credibility and the fact they really like the content we're developing and then they get comfortable enough to reach out to us and say, hey, we'd like you to help us out with a program. So there's this theory, this uh, communication theory, but it's called parasocial relationships. And so like if you ever watched a TV series for a long period of time and like you become endeared to these characters, right? Like tell off one of your favorite characters and you are heart, like you feel it. It's a fictional character, Anthony. This person doesn't exist. Like this is a made up person. But the same thing happens when we engage with people on any sort of social media platform now on a regular basis. Podcasts, movies, TV shows. We develop this sort of relationship and it almost can feel like a friendship. Or like a familial type of feeling with these people and it can hang you up a little bit. But at the same time, it's like we are so naturally as humans in tune to connect with one another that we'll do it even over the phone. We'll do it through a podcast. Like we are so meant to be connecting and having those conversations and engaging with one another that it's we'll take whatever platform we can get. So far we got, let me see, remember needs, incentives and credibility. Yep. So the E is evolution or to evolve. Really, this came from the transition. I am a traditional. I taught at the University of Arkansas for a couple of years. I taught during my undergrad experience. Like I was in a classroom, physical presence. I did it when I was at JB Hunt for six years. I was physically in a room with folks. Okay. And there's a very like, you get a vibe. I can pick up, I can look at your face and I can understand if you're like under, like grasping what I'm talking about. There's some back and forth. There's the nonverbals. 
man, you put a camera in front of some people and it's like, they become Ricky Bobby, right? It's like, I don't know what to do with my hands. And it's all thing. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but we really have to still find a way to have these conversations and meaningfully engage or nothing good is going to come of it. And so a big part of that was how do you evolve your methods and how do you move beyond just the traditional way that we think about training? And here's the traditional way that I have thought about it. Because of kind of the my formative years in training and development outside of the education system, I thought, okay, certain people will get chosen for like leadership development. If you're tapped to be a leader, we're going to give you these skills and teach you how to be a leader. And then some people are going to be in like support roles. And if you're tapped for this, you're not going to lead, but we think you're going to be really good support. We'll give you training on these specific things. I like to think of people holistically. You're more than just like this one or two skill set. Why are we only training people how to lead once we've promoted them to leadership positions? That is the most, it's crazy to me because I'll talk to these people that go from like these designer levels, individual contributors to now, guess what? You still got to individually contribute, but you're responsible for the work of all these people. And now is when we're going to start teaching you how to lead. And the person fails or flounders or struggles so ridiculously hard unnecessarily. And there's two schools of thought that work on this, right? There's the people that came before that are like, hey, I struggled too. It's supposed to be hard. You need to suffer through it like I did, which is a garbage thought. Like throw that out. Just because you went through a hardship doesn't mean other people need to. And then there's the other school of thought of like, this doesn't need to be this hard. Let's stop. And that's where you get change. It shouldn't have to be this difficult to work through these things. And so for the evolution for us, it was how do we adapt these methods to reach the most people? We don't make the training exclusive. We do organization-wide training almost every week of the year. We, We skip a week between sessions, but we do live training. It's for everyone across the studio. It's not leadership specific. It's not individual contributor. It is skills that help develop us as whole people. And we train everybody at the same time. And from that, you get conversations about what does time management and prioritization look to people who are working on the front lines and the designer level? And what does it look like to the people in the C-suite? And what are the differences and why is there conflict with that? And how can we get those to align? When you bring all of those voices into the conversation, you get a chance to actually understand the real issues that are happening versus just the things that we're working around because we don't have a solution to So that evolution is be willing to change. That's big. Yeah. And I just want to go back to something you said there. We get this all the time from project managers who tell us that their firm will come to us and say, hey, congratulations, you're a project manager. In the next six months or so, we'll probably get you to a PM training. And I always use the analogy. It's like if someone were to come up to someone and say, hey, we're going to be sending you over to Spain to work on this project as a project manager. And when you get there, we'll figure out how to teach you Spanish. Yeah. Don't look into it now. Like it's not for you yet. You're not there. You're not setting anyone up for success doing it that way. So I I really like the idea of evolving and, you know, from a company perspective, from an individual perspective, really across the board. All right. So wrap us up with the R now. The last one is relationship. Every bit of the nicer method is predicated on you have to be interested, actively involved in building a relationship with the other person. How am I going to understand what you need if I don't know you or what motivates you? How am I going to get you incentivized to do any sort of the training if I don't know what helps you buy in or build credibility? Or how can I evolve to match your actual need versus just training the topics that I want if I don't actually have a relationship with the people that I'm trying to train and develop? I'm going to give you an example here. 
when I was working at a Jamie Hunt, so a transportation company based out of Northwest Arkansas here, I sat on, they called it a leadership development training. And at the end of this week-long series, right, they brought in this series of VPs from different disciplines in the organization. And they talked to us about like the benefits of the training programs. And they talked to us like, you know, these things can help you grow and really do this. And I asked the question. I was on the receiving end of the training. I was not the trainer at it for this particular session, but I asked this question. I said, I, you know, you guys have talked about this importance. You've talked about how these things matter. Just quick question. When was the last time any of y'all went through a training like this? I did not mean it to come across as, I guess, aggressive as that sounds, but it was crickets in that room. It was dead silence. And I was like, well, it's been, it's been this minute. And blah, blah. Like you just shot every bit of like credibility and rapport that you had in this because you're not being authentic. You're not really building a relationship with me. You're coming in here and giving us like a really nice talk. We literally just saw that you don't walk the talk. And it goes back to like, are you actively invested in the things that you're trying to engage other people in? Or are you just doing it to check a list because you're going to get out what you put in? So needs, incentives, credibility, evolve, and relationships. So now a lot of our listeners are civil engineers. They're going through their careers. They're trying to grow and develop. Talk about or maybe give an example of how individual professional per se could use this nicer method for themselves in developing some of their skill sets and growing in their careers. The biggest thing that you have to focus on first is the transfer of skills. How good are you at teaching other people what you do? How good are you at communicating your processes and making very clear the way that you go through those things? The very first step to being able to get anybody any meaningful change or movement on a process or project or even a goal is to understand the way that you operate within it. The first step would be to first understand what you're capable of now and what you're trying to achieve. I can't know what you need until I know what you're trying to do. There's this thing that happens where leaders or new leaders will come in and they'll start being so focused on leading this person and developing them that they forget to ask how they want to be led and developed. And so they're like, man, I've got this guy on my team, man. He's a hot shot rock star. Like he's going to be my next big gunner. I can't wait. Like I know he's going to do it. And then they go and have a conversation or a lot of times they don't have the conversation, right? And they put old hot shot in this role and it turns out, Hot shot, never wanting to lead people in his life. He just wanted to be the hot shot. He wanted a title and he wanted to promote. And we made the only path to success look like you had to go and do this side. Hot shot was a hot shot when you let him be a hot shot in his areas of strength. He stopped being a hot shot when you pushed him into something that he was not interested in growing that direction. You can't force me into being a good leader. It's just not going to happen that way. And sending somebody to a course being like, oh, maybe this will work without understanding their motivation and intent, you get exactly what you expect from those situations. You get people who are floundering or people who lack the self-awareness and think they're doing a really good job, but the people around them are like, this ain't it, Chief. No, it's not happening. The very first thing we have to do is work on self-awareness. Understand where you're at, where your capabilities are comparatively. Look around. Understand what it is that you want to do. The easiest way to find out what you want to do long-term, even if you're a place where I've been doing this for a while, I've invested, I don't know if I want to do it. What are you most proud of that you do? What is the work that you do that when you talk about it, you're like ear to ear, you can see it in the eyes. You're like, man, I got to do this. And we had this conversation. That's what you should be doing. How do you get to that? And then build your needs list around that. You've already got the incentive. 
the incentive is this is what moves me. This is what makes me happy. When you talk about the things that make you proud, like it's there. The credibility is go and find the sources that have it. Maybe it's not your leadership. Maybe it's mentorship. Maybe it's finding other people who have that same passion and drive about those things and orienting yourself that direction. A lot of times civil engineers listen to the, I don't want to call it generic, but like the path that everyone says an engineer or a consultant should follow in their career and they try to take those steps. I think to Dylan's point, you need to really be clear on where you want to go in your career because that's going to help you build the right skill sets to get there. In fact, one of the guests on the podcast a while back recommended a book called Where Will You Be Five Years From Today? And it's a short book, but it asks you some questions and prompts you on thinking about where you're headed. And I think the power in that is if I know I want to go somewhere, then I can start to figure out what skill sets that I need to develop and I need to build or what licenses or certifications I need to get. Because even though it's five years out, likely the things you're doing today are dictating whether or not you're getting there in five years. So it's a really important when it comes to learning and development to make sure I had a coaching session with an engineer once and she was getting her master's degree and she was kind of like just bored as anything going through the classes. And I was like, oh, what do you want to do in your career? And I'm like, is this going to help you? She's like, no, probably not. So like, I don't know why I'm taking this master's degree, spending all this money and spending all this time. So the point is, is you got to look ahead if you want to really develop yourself and make sure you're putting yourself in the right position to get to where you want to go. Essentially, I think that's really important. The other side of it, if you're one of those people that's like, man, I don't really know. I've never made the five-year plan of the team. I don't know where I want to go. I'll tell you a tool that I use because I sometimes fall into that category. I'm not really sure. I'll write down the places I know I absolutely don't want to go. I can speak with certainty about the things I don't want to end up doing and how I don't want to feel about my job or the investments that I make in myself and others. I can be real clear about what I don't want and that might help shape some of what I do. My daughter right now is applying to colleges and she luckily kind of has a good feel for what she wants to do, but a lot of these kids don't and I don't blame them. I mean, they're in high school. How do they know what they want to do with their lives long-term? But your point is a good one in that if they were thinking what they know they don't want to do, right? Sometimes it's a good way to get started when you're trying to make a decision. So we went through the nicer method. Again, it's needs, incentives, credibility, evolve, and relationships. And Dylan gave us some strategies that you can apply personally and then individually in your career to leverage it. What we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and wrap up with Dylan and we're going to put him on the career hot seat. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Before we go on here, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI provides expert prep courses and study resources designed to help you pass the FE and PE exams the first time. PPI's live online courses include hours of lectures, problem-solving demonstrations, exam strategy sessions, office hours, and a passing guarantee. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. All right, so we are back with Dylan Medeiros. Dylan is a learning and development specialist at HFA. We've talked a lot about the nicer method and how you can really focus on developing the right skills in your career. But now, Dylan, it's time for you to go on the what we call the civil engineering hot seat. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. All right. So, Dylan, do you have any specific rituals that you practice every day, whether it's a morning routine or a lunchtime routine or just something that you do consistently on a daily basis that contributes to your success? I feed my brain. 
I'll tell you how I do that. I will start my day with, I listen to this podcast called Hidden Brain. It's research. Vikram Shadat, I believe is his name. It's just fascinating. And he really dives into like the psychology behind why people do what they do. One of the most recent series I was listening to was on happiness. And like, it talks about what happens in your brain with happiness to like the things that are listening. And I spend a lot of time thinking. And so I like to start my day with just some obscure, doesn't even have to necessarily apply to what I'm doing that day, but just some thought exercises. And that podcast is one of the ways I do that. Keeps my brain muscles working. Is there a book or an author or a philosophy that you've leaned on or you found to be extremely helpful in your career related to your personal and professional development? I mean, I know we all take in a lot of content these days, but sometimes there's these things that stand out for us that we like hold on to. Pretty much anything by Brene Brown is standout. But uh, her book, Dare to Lead, I would say, is probably one of the absolute best resources. If you are interested in leading other people, if you have a family and you just happen to have a cousin or something that you that follows you around, it, like everyone leads in some capacity, right? This book breaks down a lot of the hidden things that we don't talk about with leadership and makes it very tangible and real. Like, hey, let's stop pretending this doesn't exist and address it. And if you know anything about Brene Brown, I mean, she's hilarious and speaks very directly. So I would say she and all of her books are fantastic. So thinking back on some of your managers of the past, and you certainly don't have to name names, but if you just think about some of your favorite managers, what would you say made them your favorite? We're trying to understand, like, what are some of the characteristics of, you know, really great leaders? So I worked at Freight Brokerage for a few years before I re-entered the training realm. And uh, I had a, a boss named Mike. Like, if you love freight brokers, that's great for you. That's not what this is about. I did not enjoy this job. I took this job because I did not want to deliver pizzas anymore. I wanted to have an opportunity, right? So I got in the door. I was sitting there talking to him one day, and he had this book, The Strengths Finder 2.0 by Don Clifton on his book, and I, I or on his desk. And I just asked him, I was like, do you know like what your top five are? And he's like, yeah. And he asked me mine. I was like, yeah. He's like, do you, uh, you think we do a good job using your top five strengths in this role? Do you think we actually get to utilize everything that you bring to the table? All right. So here's the moment that this guy became like one of my favorite people. I said, Mike, I'm going to be real honest with you. I feel like a well-trained monkey could do this job. This is not engaging me. This is, and he, he was blown away at this moment. Like he pulled back. He's like, at this point I was running a $7 million account. He was like, "Why? Well, you're good at it. I was like, being good at this does nothing for me if I don't enjoy it. You can be really good at something that makes you completely miserable. Stop doing it. And from that moment on, he was solely focused on how to get me out of that job and into something within the organization that better utilized my strengths. He saw me. He connected with me. The best managers or leaders that I've ever had, it doesn't matter their skill level or even their individual leadership competencies. It's been about the connection that they have with me. It doesn't matter what your competencies are. If you make me feel seen, valued, and like what I say is heard and actually matters, you've got me. I've got one final question for you, and we call it our civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you got into an elevator with, let's say, an up-and-coming civil engineer and you had about 30 to 40 seconds with him or her, what career advice would you give them in 30 to 40 seconds? Those people that you think have it all figured out don't. And then they're learning at the same time that they're trying to teach you and show you. Give grace, ask for grace, but be patiently aggressive in what you want. Well, Dylan, I want to thank you so much for spending some time with us on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Love to hear about the NICER method, which is awesome, and all the stuff that you're doing at HFA. 
And um, I hope that we can have you again sometime. I would absolutely love it, man. I appreciate the conversation. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dylan. It was really awesome to hear the process that he utilizes to help people learn because learning and development is a process. And if you get good at it, you can go anywhere in your career. Please remember you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.